So one of the things that uh, that people used to want to do with me at times was um, was get a little two for one at a camp retreat because uh, I've got a lot of buddies and they know I lead worship and they know that I sometimes go and speak at camps and so they'd call me up and they're like Dave we're on a tight budget I said you're a youth pastor tell me something I don't know like I already know that you don't need to express that to me what's up hey we're doing this water ski trip we're doing this camp out we're doing a river rafting thing we're doing a winter re- retreat whatever. And uh, we want you to come and lead worship. And I go, cool, that sounds awesome. Let me check my schedule and, and, we'll, and we'll look at that. And we want you to speak. And I would say this, time out, I'm not going to do it. I, I will not do both speaking and, and worship leading at the same retreat. Uh, I know what you're trying to do and get a little two for one, but we're not doing that. Uh, I'm just going to just pick one or the other. I'll gladly do either one, but we won't do both. Uh, this Sunday, I'm breaking my rule for the first time in a really, really, really long time. Um, we have uh, we have very faithful servants who are here on a regular basis, uh, but one of them is heading right now to Hume Lake with our high school students. They left at 8.30 this morning, so be in prayer for them. Uh, I'm really, really excited about this little offshoot of big Ponderosa Hume, which is fun and crazy and wild. They're going actually up on a different side of the mountain out into the wilderness a little bit more. And this is called Wildwood. You can look at it at hume.org and check it out. But it's a little bit more discipleship focused. And they're, they're taking them through some things where they're kind of pushing them a little bit. And we have a, a, a group right now that we thought would benefit more from Wildwood than Ponderosa. So that's where they're off to right now. So just be in prayer for them. And then um, our regular worship leader, Rob, is off on a vacation. And uh, I thought, you know what? He does so much for us. We should let him have a vacation once in a while. So uh, not that I really had much of a say, but... Um, listen, we are, we are just back from Mexico, uh, and we decided, I don't know if any of you, uh, here in Northern California heard about this, but they had this thing going on called Carmageddon. And, uh, this is where they're shutting down the 405 freeway, uh, and a few other, uh, freeways, and they're demoing a bridge. And we're reading down, uh, on the way down, and the mayor's saying, you know, we've never done anything like this before, and we think it's gonna be a total disaster. I'm thinking, wow, the mayor's openly saying that this could be kind of interesting. Of all things, it's on the very Saturday that we're scheduled to come home from Mexico and drive through L.A. to try and arrive home at some reasonable hour. So we decided we were going to wake up super early and try to get through the border and this and that. And we had this camp out Friday night, big camp out with all the kids. We're saying goodbye. There's balloon animals and face painting and Sundays and awesome time. Campfires in Mexico are just awesome because safety standards are a little different. So, I mean, you just chuck stuff on there. and We didn't throw any kids on, but we just, just all kinds of stuff, big old fire, and we're all awake. We're cleaning up from it. We just had a long, fun day, great last day. And, uh, you know, we kind of looked around. We thought, you know, we're all awake right now. All the kids are awake right now. What if we just kind of clean up the place, pack up, and just leave right now? So that's what we did. We got on the road at 11 o'clock at night. Um, Tijuana nightlife at 11, never been through there. Interesting. Just lock the door. We just cruise right on through. And um, and border crossing, less than a half an hour, which if you've ever crossed at the border, you know that's a great thing. And uh, basically got to leave the cruise control all the way through, right through downtown L.A., not a lick of traffic. So I don't even know what happened uh, today and tomorrow, or uh, Saturday and Sunday, but... We don't really care. We all got through, made it home safe and sound. Praise God for that. We're going to get to hear shortly from a couple of our team members. Uh, I want to keep these people in front of you uh, as we as we are, are are down there. I want to talk about two words this morning, and I'm just going to share really briefly uh, because we also have uh, something else kind of neat coming up uh, in just a second. Um, but 
Essentially, it's, it's, it's these two words. Can we bring up the first screen, Carl? Am I, am I on with this? Thank you, sir. Um, the first word is the word ordinance. And uh, ordinances are one of those church words that um, whenever I go on a uh, school field trip, I have uh, my kids' teachers sometimes. If we go visit a mission, for instance, I've been on the mission field trip several times, and they always point to me, they go, well, you would know all about this. I'm like, what? I did a report in fourth grade. What are you talking about? But it's because I'm a pastor, and they know my profession, and so they talk about certain certain whole swaths of kind of the giant Christian umbrella that I'm supposed to kind of know about. Ordinances is one of those words that I'm kind of like you. I'm like, what exactly is an ordinance? Let me look that up. Um, but but ordinances were given, and, and to put it really simply, they're specific acts of worship that are commanded by God. Now, much like uh, Pharisees in the New Testament, here's what happens. Sometimes churches take take things and they make a specific act of worship as if it's commanded by God, but then you look through your Bible and you realize, wow, that is unique to that church. Meaning, it's not inspired. It's not God's Word. This isn't something we have to do for all of time, for all people in all parts of the world. Rather, that's a unique thing that they do in their worship, and that's fine. And so we make judgment calls all the time. Let me give you a classic arguing point, okay? One classic arguing point, when I was growing up especially, I don't think it's completely died down, but is the drums right here. There were churches that just flat out said, uh, we are not going to do drums, and that's of God. And there were people that took that as, as word and said, well, we do, uh, you know, we do baptism and communion, and we don't have drums. And it would be raised to that level. And then you start reading your Bible and you read about different things and you go, gosh, I don't really see that in there anywhere exactly. That's a preference. That's not something that's been commanded by God. Catch my drift with this? Okay. So what we're going to do is this. We're going to look at, uh, if you read through the Old Testament, what you'll find is a lot of ordinances for God's people. God's people were the Israelites, a special chosen nation that he began to say, here is how you worship. And whole books of the Bible, Leviticus is a great one for this, are dedicated to saying, this is how you are to worship. We serve a God who is a God of order, a God who created all things in order, but also asks for and commands specific order in how to worship. There are certain things in the, in the Bible, this is just a fun word to say, abomination. Say that with me. Abomination. Okay? Some of the newer translations say something else, but it's a deep offense. Imagine a disgusting smell to you that you just go, oh, I can't even, ugh! it makes me hurl. I can't even smell it or look on it. That's an abomination. There were certain kinds of things in the Old Testament, you'll come across it and you'll say, gosh, why is that so offensive to God? When you get to that point, dig deeper. There are answers there. God's revealing himself to us. He's revealing who he is. What you'll begin to see is this pattern. Sin is offensive to God. It's an abomination to God. Not only that, he says, this is the way to do it. This is the way to worship. Here are the two clear guideposts. Worship in this way. There's a rebel. There's a little rebel or a big rebel in all of us, isn't there? The rebel in us says this. Why? Why do I have to do it this way? I wonder what it's like to go do it over here. So you read in the Old Testament... And you see things like this. There's a great translation that says, and strange fire was offered up to God. That just, I mean, I saw some strange fire in Mexico as they burned their trash. But you see that and you go, well, why was it strange? What was strange about it was this. It wasn't done in the prescribed way. It wasn't done in the ordinance. It wasn't being, it wasn't following God's rule for how to worship Him. And so it became an abomination to Him. 
And what happens is we begin to take ourselves as worshiper and we move ourselves in authority over the one being worshipped. Do you see how sick and twisted that is? That's why it's an abomination. Parents get a little sense of this. When you ask your kid to do something, you tell your kid to do something. You say, you must do this. And they decide, no, I know better than that. I'm going to drive even though I'm eight years old. And they go and they start to do their own thing. That's why that fires parents up so much. They say, do you think you know better than me? Do you think at eight years old you know how to drive and you should be knowing how to make these calls? Now that's a tiny picture, a little sliver of God who's completely otherliness than us altogether and us now questioning him or placing ourselves in authority over him. Let me give you this. In the Old Testament, you will read for God's people many ordinances, several of which say this, and this is for all time. I told you a couple weeks ago, I met a Messianic Jew. That's Sometimes they call them completed Jews. It's the Jewish people who recognize and know the truth that Jesus is in fact the Messiah, that he's already come and he's coming again to gather his own. That's what a Messianic Jew is. There are other Jews that you will come across and where you will be at odds, Christian, is this. They will say, we're looking for Messiah. Meaning, Jesus, that rabbi, that guy that came on the scene 2,000 years, that wasn't it. That wasn't him. He was a fraud. If you're a Christian and that's your Lord who died for you and you know the truth, that ought to fire you up. He wasn't a fraud. He isn't a fraud. He's alive and well, I can assure you that, and he's doing work in my own life. I'll tell you about the hope I have. Let me share it with you. I met a Messianic Jew who was teaching Ethiopian Jews about their heritage. And he was instructing them in the ways, in the ordinances of God, in the feasts and, and ways of worship that they are to walk in. And it was a really cool thing. He said, hey, we're doing some teaching and worship over in this building. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know who he was teaching or what he was worshiping. But I was like, i got to check this out. So I slipped away from Becky and I went into this session. And I think I showed you a picture of it. Here's more than probably a hundred Ethiopian people who've walked a couple hours to get to this place. And you know what he's preaching about? He's preaching about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in Ethiopia and giving praise and glory to him as the risen Son of God, fully man and fully human. And I'm going, yes! In Ethiopia, you can get away with that. You can wave your, you can do all kinds of stuff. I love it. And I'm fired up about it. And here he is teaching them the ordinances of Jewish people in Ethiopia, these commands that are there for all of time. Now, most of the faces I'm looking at right now are Gentiles. That is a non-Jew. I don't. I hope I'm not losing with you all this. I'm, I'm landing the plane soon. Hang with me, okay? Some of you are like, what is he talking about? Most people in this room are Gentiles, meaning they're not Jewish of Jewish descent. So we have been grafted into the vine. We are Gentile Christians made one in Christ. When Christ comes, there's no longer Jew or Gentile that would divide us, but it would bring us as one. However, as Gentiles, there are, there are some things. We say this. We say the, the Lord instituted only a couple of ordinances for us. One of them is communion. It's what we just celebrated. And what we've talked about before in, in this church is this. By the way, the other one is baptism, in case you're wondering. So baptism, as you read through the scriptures, you see the importance of that and that that is commanded for the church in these days until the Lord returns that we are to be uh, baptizing people. And we're to be gathering and celebrating communion. 
What we've shared with before here, let me see, is this. I like to think of baptism. This is not in the Bible. This is just my brain thinking this through a little bit. But we get to witness a baptism here in a few short minutes. And you're going to hear just an awesome testimony. And what a baptism is, is this. It is standing in front of a group of people. It's standing forth publicly and saying, I am following Jesus Christ. I am identifying with him in all of his life, in all of his suffering, in all of his persecution, in his death, burial, and resurrection. I'm his. He's my master. That's what you're doing. Put it in a different word, in a little bit more of a relational way, here's what it's saying. I am in love with Jesus. Every relationship will be subordinate to my love relationship with Jesus. Some of you who are married remember standing in front of a group of people. It may have been two people or 200 people. But on that day, a bride and a groom stand together. Usually they're facing one another. They're looking into each other's eyes. And what do they do right there? They make vows, right? You know what they're saying in those moments? I am choosing this one. And I want, before God and all these witnesses, I want you to hear me saying, I'm choosing you for life. I want you to think of baptism a little bit like your wedding day. You don't get baptized over and over and over. You don't need to get married over and over and over. You get married one time. You get baptized one time. You stand up, you publicly are married to Jesus. You know what communion's like? Communion is like date night. Date night, you carve time out of your day and you say, I am going to stop and remember that I love this person. I'm not going to talk about bills. I'm not going to discipline the kids. We're not going to wrangle about the car and about schedule. We're just going to enjoy each other. We're just going to be in love with each other and just enjoy each other. And that's why date night is really important. Ladies, say yes, that's right. That's right. Guys, remember, uh, date night's important, right? So it is with communion. Communion is an ordinance instituted by Jesus in this account that we just read. And he said, do this as often as you gather and do this in remembrance of me. You guys come and gather and you remember me. What I'm, what I'm fascinated by is this. Jesus did not leave a ton of physical things around for us to touch and to be at to worship. There are some world religions that say if you're not standing in this spot, you're not in touch with God. If you're over here near there, you're more in touch with God. We have an ever-present, uh, om- omnipresent God that's with us wherever we are. The very presence of God now dwells in believers. That's so powerful. You've got a cave in the ground so you can stay alive and worship Jesus? Go for it. That might be one of the holiest places in a country doing that. He also didn't leave artifacts such that we have to make sure we have the right artifact and somehow we have to accumulate these things and be touching these things and all kinds of stuff. Rather, the church universal is such that the poorest of the poor have equal access to God. Isn't that powerful? And yet, we get to tangibly touch a little wafer or a bread. We used yeastless bread, a cracker. Yeast was representative of sin. So that's why we do that. And to take that and to taste it and to think about the fact that when you eat a piece of bread and you now try to separate that bread from your body, good luck. I mean, it's a part of you. Jesus is saying, take and eat this. You're now you're now so enmeshed with me, just like that piece of bread. Try to separate that bread. Isn't that a cool picture? That's the way that Jesus is 
presence is with us. And we can celebrate communion as easily in Mexico in the dirt with no electricity as we can in the nicest cathedral in Europe or something. That's one of the ordinances that God left for us. We're going to celebrate baptism here shortly, but let me read for you. Uh, we already looked at Matthew 26. Matthew 28 says this, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There's that ever-present reminder of Jesus saying, I'm with you. All authority has been given me, and I'm with you. Should that fire you up and allow you to walk courageously through your week? Absolutely. Should that fire you up and allow you to courageously cross into a place where sometimes they have violence in northern Mexico? Absolutely. Should that fire you up and give you courage to share where you go, this might cost me my job. This might cost me a relationship. This might be really awkward for me. This might mean my name gets dragged down a little bit. I might get made made fun of. Absolutely. Why? Because you're His witnesses. Here, there, everywhere. You're His witnesses. All authority has been given to Him. And He's with you always. One of the powerful things is that... uh, we were celebrating at a church down in Mexico and they gave announcement that the following week or two weeks from now, they were going to go do their baptisms. You know where they do their baptisms? At the beach. If you live near the beach, you do them at the beach. Uh, and so they're just going to go down to the beach, they have a big bar- uh, barbecue, and they baptize right there in, in Rosarito Beach. Some people are using it for a giant party to just get smashed and forget. Here's a group of Christians coming to remember and celebrate this new life, this miracle that God's done. And isn't it beautiful for me to have been in another part of the world, in Africa earlier uh, in the month, and here they are celebrating communion, doing the very things we're doing. You say, well, how come that is? It's because they're living by the book, and it's written in here. And it's so powerful to hear people, and just, I've got a friend right now who's with a remote people group. And I've talked with him some, and I say, tell me about the worship. You know what? There are components of worship in that culture that are exactly like this because they're taken right from Scripture. They come together. They celebrate communion. There's some element of song. There's some element of fellowship. We say, meet your neighbor, whatever else. Sometimes they have a meal for like four hours. There's some element of teaching. There's always an element of prayer and dependence on the Spirit. Does this sound remotely familiar? If it doesn't, come here 52 weeks in a row. You'll get a sense like, wow, we have some of the same similar things. A second word I want to talk about this morning is this. Um, Yeah, there's a picture of our friends. (laughs) Um, uh, You know what? I'll just just leave uh, leave that that word later. Uh, Carl, can you get me to the slide ordinary, please? This is me on sleep-deprived slide-putting-together mode. the second word is the word ordinary. The word ordinary uh, in its noun form is this, what is commonplace and is an adjective with no special or distinctive features, normal. Let me read for you a passage where uh, we have the, the prophet Samuel who has come to the household of Jesse. Some of you Bible scholars already know where I'm going with this. But here's this prophet that God raises up 
And he says, I'm going to anoint a new king for my people. And so he sends him to the house of Jesse. And the story is this, that he comes to him and Jesse's pumped up. He goes, wow, a prophet's visiting my house. That's a huge deal. So he says, I'm here to, uh, to appoint the next king. And so Jesse immediately does what? He brings out his oldest son. In that culture, that's exactly who you brought out. Your oldest son. He was tall. He was a big dude. So he brings him out. He says, here you go. And what happens? Eh, that's not him. Keep, keep, keep him coming. So what does he do? He starts bringing, he keeps bringing his kids. And he just keeps bringing them. And, and Samuel says, this is not the one God's appointed. This is not the one God's appointed. God's revealed it to him. So he's not guessing here. He says, this isn't it. He gets to the end and he says, uh, that's it. I mean, thanks, Dad. Uh, oh, there's one more, right? He's out in the, he's out in the field with the sheep, tending sheep. He's out, you know, cleaning the Tupperware. I mean, he's just, he's got the peon job out there. And Samuel says this, I'm not leaving until he comes in here. So he comes in here and here's what the Lord says to Samuel in chapter 16, verse 7. He says, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We just talked about something super ordinary. How hard is it to get baptized? Super easy. You get enough water that you can get dunked in. That's it. You don't need microphones, lights, or even heat. We have all of those. All you need is a big bucket of water or a lake. Or there's a pretty big ocean somewhere. Go get baptized. Ordinary. Common. Sometimes people were put out that Jesus would heal with such common elements. Spit and dirt? That makes mud. You want me to go wash in the muddy Jordan? There's better pools elsewhere. Doesn't God seem to delight in taking the ordinary so that his light can shine through? Who gets the glory when the ordinary is doing something crazy? The power behind the ordinary, right? By the way, church leaders, missionaries, speakers understand this. Moses says, but, 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 but Lord, I'm slow of speech. God looks at him and says, that's why I want you to lead. So go lead my people. And he takes the ordinary and he does the extraordinary so it's crystal clear who's doing the work. So it's crystal clear who's empowering that person. I'm just going to blitz through a few people we got to meet in one short week of living in a different context. We got to meet, we're sitting in church and uh, we had a great worship service on Wednesday night. Part of their routine, love this, is take, take your kids. I don't care if you have one kid or 30 kids. Pile them in however many cars you need to. Drive them to church. Wednesday night. That's the routine. Every Wednesday night, they get a bath and cleaned up, and they're at church. So all the kids from the orphanage are there, and we're just all there at church together. That's the, that's the drill. So we're at church, and after the regular church service is done, they say, oh, by the way, there's this church planner that's going to come share with us. And evidently, him and his wife were actually at the home a few days earlier. I didn't get to meet him. But this guy walks up, and it's the craziest thing, is he was this white guy that, uh, that looked like a Pakistani guy that spoke with kind of a southern Indian accent. And it was the wildest thing you could imagine. And he gets up there, and he starts talking. And, um, and he, they, they said, by the way, here's who this guy is. He's a church planter who's planting a church 
amongst the nomadic tribesmen uh, somewhere in India. And I'm like, now that's a pretty interesting church planner. A couple of my kids wanted to slip out because they've been sitting in church a long time. And I said, nope. In 40 years, I've never met a nomadic church planner. You're going to sit around and listen to this. And in about three minutes, he had all of us. Because he starts just telling stories about what it's like to plant a church amongst nomadic people in India, where you don't have a home and you live in the tent. And it was just this powerful thing. Uh, later, later after the service, Curtin's chatting up with him, and he's just sharing some different stories about what life is like. You know what I, you know what, you know what I look like? I, I look at this guy and go, wow, this is just a regular Joe. If he wasn't wearing kind of the square hat and kind of that crazy beard, I wouldn't give him a second look. I wouldn't think twice about him in a million years. And you know what God's doing? God's taken him to be his agent way out here on the move. I want to just hook a GPS thing up to him without him knowing. I'll just track him. Just when I'm sitting in my office, I'm like, where's that dude today? He's just cruising around India, bringing the gospel on the run. That's a cool story. Here's another couple of regular guys. There's these triplet brothers. Two of them get saved. Darren and Justin. They're hanging out around the orphanage for a couple of days because they're in Guadalajara. They're as white as white can be. They're from Sacramento, Roseville area. And God called them to go minister to orphans and plant a church in Guadalajara, Mexico. And they wrote this little evangelical track called uh, A Gringo Crosses the Border and Finds Christ. <laughs> it's a cool little book. Um, and here's this regular guy and another regular guy who looks an awful lot like him. And we're just sitting around the kitchen late at night eating cold cereal. And I'm just sitting here going, what an amazing story that these two guys are led from comfy Roseville to follow their Lord. And where's he leading them? We just sang about it. He's leading them to beautiful places. You know what that beautiful place looked like this time? A super rundown, trash-filled orphanage in Guadalajara. These guys are both highly educated, highly skilled. They come in and start introducing the word spreadsheet to the leader of this thing. They start putting a budget down. They start taking where they're gifted and they mesh in where this guy's gifted, which they looked at me and they said, man, this guy doesn't listen to any preaching. He doesn't have any commentaries, but I'd rather listen to him teach the Bible than anyone I've ever heard in my life. And as he's teaching orphans, we sit there and just gobble up every word. What a partnership. But the guy can't keep a budget to save his life. So what does the Lord do? Brings a couple of tall white gringos down and says, Here, this is the beautiful place I've led you to. Are you sure, Lord? Yes, you'll see in, a, in some, some time down the future. A couple of regular guys. By the way, I told him, if you're ever in San Jose, we need to hear from you. Our church needs to hear from you. You people might be going to Guadalajara, Mexico someday soon and helping them build and helping them do some things down there. Just an awesome story. That's an all-boys orphanage uh, down there in, in Mexico. All right, now we get to get to our picture. What? Hey, there's the word. Um, what is Mike's wife's name? No. Right here in this picture. Okay, if none of us know, then you won't know if we're wrong. Melissa, thank you. This is Mike and Melissa. They're from Santa Cruz, California. They felt the Lord calling them to go down and join uh, George and Stacy Plow at Grace Children's Home. You know what they were doing when they got there? They arrived and we met them. They joined us for kind of our first little team time and worship time. They're just the sweetest people. They just immediately have this heart connect with them. And I'm like, so what are you guys doing down here? They're like, well, we don't really know. 
I'm like, cool. <laughs> it sounds like the Lord's involved. Tell me more. They said, well, all we know is that we feel convinced that God's taking our family and our three children and we're supposed to live here. Not just come here for 1% of our year or 2% of our year, but for all of our year. I go, wow. That's so cool. You're getting out of the boat. And you're just walking on water down here in Mexico. They don't know much Spanish. They don't know how to do all kinds of things, I'm sure. But here they are. I said, what are you guys doing today? This was the next day. They go, we're looking for a house. We're going to go house hunting. I'm like, well, Godspeed. I'm sure God's got a house for you if he told you to come down and live here. That evening, how'd it go? We got a house. Done. That's pretty cool. So there they are. They're set up in their house. And in a few short weeks, they've got all their stuff in store. They're going to move down to Mexico. And he said, here's how simple it was. Ready for this? I said, specifically, what are you going to do? He goes, whatever he tells me. He's pointing to George. Whatever George tells me. You know what our teams go down to do? You guys have been down there, you know. We do whatever George tells us. George, Stacy, what are your needs? You tell us what to do. And then we'll just do it. We'll just join in and, and kind of help in, in with what's going on. Let me keep going. Here's Stacy Plow. Stacy's uh, hugging two of her girls. And what's really cool is George and Stacy aren't allowed to and, and philosophically don't, call, don't allow themselves to be called mom and dad. They've adopted two children, two Mexican children, and then they had a third uh, child biologically. So they have three children of their own. They're a nuclear family that lives on the third floor that we helped build of this dormitory where we stayed. Their life is, is intricately uh, meshed with their ministry. Teams come in summer after summer after summer. A little sign posted says, quiet time, 10 p.m. If that doesn't get enforced, so be it. That's their life. If something's needed at 2 a.m., George is up and he's on it and he's just doing it. That's their life. So here's Stacy with, uh, with, with part of her larger extended family, two, two of the girls that were there. This was, um, this was Tuesday night devotions that they have in their living room. And they pack all the kids and all the team in there and we just jump in and we got to hear from Luke. Luke shared a testimony. It was awesome. And we got to sing some songs to the Lord. And we did it all in English and Spanish. And doing that together is a beautiful picture. It's a great reminder that God is not a white English-speaking God. God is a God of all the nations. We sing about that often. We talk about that often. But to sing it verse, chorus, verse, chorus, English, Spanish, English, Spanish, back and forth, just reminds you of that in a really powerful way. You know what George and Stacy are? Super regular people. They had a really good, normal job in Santa Cruz. He was in tech industry. You know what the Lord whispered in his ear one day? Hey, you've been going to Club Dust and building homes in Mexico for one week out of the year. I want you to do a little inversion process. I want you to be in the U.S. for one week a year, raising support so that you can be down in, the US, in, the, in Mexico for the other 51 weeks. So bring your family and go down there. You know what George did? He obeyed. That's all. He just obeyed. And some of us were down there when there was nothing but just this little property, a little barbed wire fence and a little deck. That all still is there. But now there's a whole added uh, side. So now there's a boys and girls side. Now there's a whole three-story uh, dormitory, kitchen, uh, classrooms, dental facility. George drew in the dirt for us several years ago. There's a property across the street that's housed by drug dealers. We're praying that God would give us that property. When he does, we're putting a baby home in there. That's what's up right now and ready to be operational probably by end of summer to house babies in Tijuana that are needing a home. 
ordinary people. You know what else he does? He brings ordinary folks like this group right here to come down and to just make a difference. The guy in the red, uh, in the orange shirt at the top of the screen, that's, that's Juan. Juan and Alicia are the couple that God told him. He was in the tech industry in San Diego. If you haven't been to San Diego recently, it's a pretty cool place to hang out and live and have a job and buy a home and live your life. That's what he was doing. The Lord whispered in his ear and said, you and your wife and your four kids need to get serious about your Spanish. Why, Lord? Because you're going to Mexico. But my grandpa worked really hard to get our family out of Mexico and into the U.S. You want us to go back? Yes. That's exactly what I want you to do. Okay. So they moved down, and now for the last couple of years, he's been building this thing. He's probably a little bit like Noah. He's not a construction background, but he's overseen this whole project and working with George and Stacy. and now there's Grace Children's Home and Grace Baby's Home, all because of really ordinary people uh, just obey. Take simple steps of obedience and allow God to work through them. Finally, if you didn't know, you would look in Mexico and look right past some kids. But he takes very ordinary looking kids and he does extraordinary things with them. And if you will allow yourself, what you'll do is you'll be touched by these kids. You will have them change your life as you're sitting there having a conversation, looking in their eyes, and you go get into their world for one little week out of the year. We have another team leaving in August. And we've already said, as we said our goodbyes Friday night, you know what we said? We said, we're kind of heading out, but the re- I mean, part of our body, we will be back in a couple of weeks. We can't wait to see you and carry on what's going on. Ordinary kids, ordinary land, extraordinary stuff going on. Uh, Wendy and Carl and Patty, come on up for a second. Uh, more, the, more of the team went than just this, but I want you just to hear a couple of short nuggets about our trip. And by the way, one of the most frustrating things for anyone who's ever gone on a missions trip and have some kind of a life-changing experience is to come home, come on up here and actually face people, um, is to come home and you go, man, you wouldn't believe what happened to me in Nicaragua this summer. It was life-changing. And they're like, oh, good for you, brother. Hey, what time do you want to hit up uh, you know, golf this week? And you're like, no, didn't you hear me? Uh, sit down and, and ask me about it. I want to tell you about it. I mean, the Lord has changed my world perspective. Oh, that's cool. Hey, my show's on TV. I, I got to run. So let me challenge you. Some of you who went, I know you long to go. Some of you long to have gone, but we were the privileged ones that got to go this year. Thank you for supporting us in that. One of the ways we can kind of reciprocate is ask these people about it. Say, hey, tell me about Mexico. Just tell me some more about it. So I can know better how to pray for these kids. So I can think about if I'm going to be involved in that next year. So, uh, Wendy, share, share what you, uh, what you were going to share there. Okay. Here, use. Talk really loud until I find it. <laughs> okay. Um, Wendy, for those of you who don't know me, um, here, use this. Uh, my husband and I joined the team this year. We had been once it's before. On. Uh, thank you. In 2007, uh, the first summer after the church, uh, or the first time our church went uh, as NBC, and um, the first time we went, it was kind of, Luke and I had a lot of expectations. Oh, we're going to do this, this, this is what it's going to be like. And we came back really disappointed because it wasn't what we thought it was going to be like. Mm. And um, 
God really worked on our hearts, and uh, we were not able to go the last couple years because of school and teaching and different things. And uh, this year, God um, just totally blessed us as we were able to bless them. Um, over and over and over and over and over and over and over this week was the message, be patient. God has a plan for you. Um, God has shown us through the missionaries there, through the children there, that he has a plan for them and he has a plan for us. And uh, even on Wednesday night at the, the Bible study was in Esther. And I wasn't expecting a message from Esther, but it was being patient and trusting in the Lord that he's got a plan, that he will do it even in impossible circumstances. And um, going into this week, I've been very anxious. Uh, didn't don't have a job right now. My husband's job is ending at the end of the month, and um, he's applying for EMT jobs. I'm applying for teaching jobs, and we're supposed to be out of our house by the end of the summer. And who knows what the Lord has for us? But it's just I've been saying I trust in the Lord, but I've been so anxious, and I've been so holding on to everything. And it is, it was so wonderful just to go and to serve and to love on these kids. And so what if we didn't get to the 20 craft projects that we brought down? <laughs> we got to maybe eight of them. That was awesome. But it was just so awesome to see God just giving us this opportunity to wash windows, to uh, climb up on these rickety ladders in the dirt that's uneven and um, scrub this stuff off of the windows that we don't know what it is, but it came off with the scraper, so that was good. And um, just looking into these empty baby rooms and just praying over them and praying for the babies that are going to be there next month or two and just be excited for what God's going to do with the people who come and serve and the babies and children whose lives are going to be changed because of this place. So, Thanks, Wendy. Thanks, Wendy. I'm Patty. Um... I was just blessed over and over and over again, like when he was talking about just hearing Juan's story. Uh, Juan, the guy that's running the baby home, I, I don't know if it's on their website, but just his story is just incredible too. But um, So I was just way more blessed than I feel like I could have given them. But one of the things um, that we went when we intended to go is we had the idea that if we could teach the kids a skill that they could use and... Uh, one of the things we wanted to do is we wanted to teach them crocheting uh, because we thought that maybe they could, you know, make uh, baby blankets and baby hats and stuff for the baby home. Um, and teaching the kids was a little bit difficult um, because a lot of the younger kids wanted to do it and it was hard. Um, and we didn't really have enough time. But some of the Tias, the, the ladies that help out there, um, they wanted to learn. So... Um, I was able to work with a couple of them, and one of them in particular was very interested, and she just picked it up right away. And um, I said to her, crocheting can be kind of like sharing the word of God, that um, sharing the love of Christ is like, I'm teaching you to crochet, and then you can teach these other girls about crocheting, and then they can teach other girls about crocheting. And she just, her face lit up, and it almost encouraged her more to keep on going because... Um, she could teach other people just like we share the love of Christ. I share with you and then you share with a few other people and then it just gets spread all over. And um, before I left, I saw her teaching another little, another young lady who was about 15 years old and 
she was doing it, and I pointed to her. I said, see, that's what I want to see happening. So next, next time I come back, I want, you know, lots of girls to be learning how to do it and stuff. And she was very excited about it. And um, so that just really... Um, really really blessed me a lot um and another really really quick thing i have to say is um going back to the very beginning when we showed up we uh there's fenced in all around barbed wire all over uh because otherwise people come in and steal from them because they are pretty well off compared to a lot of the poverty that you see around where people have rebar up and they have nothing um you know, their houses are half built and stuff, so they have to be very protected. So we rang the doorbell and we came up and a couple of the kids came to the door and said, who are you? And I recognized the kids and I said, Juan Marcos and David, and their faces just lit up because we knew them and they recognized us and it was really neat because I've been there personally five five times and some of our teams even been there more than that. And just, I really encourage you, if you get an opportunity to go, you will be so blessed. Yeah, when Dave asked me to speak, oh, I, I'm Carl, if you don't know me, <laughs> I wasn't sure what I was going to share. Um, I mentioned, well, we'll talk about some of the projects you did. and um, We were, I think, just looking at that, we were able to bless uh, them by doing uh, the windows, like Luke, Wendy was saying, that it was, that was a ta- challenge, doing second-story windows. Uh, some plumbing repairs. Um, the In the baby's home, a few of the guys worked on the caulking some windows, putting up window shades to, for the, um, they'll be the residences for interns that are helping there, did the baseboards, uh, prepping it all for the final touch of carpeting in that, those rooms. Um, another big project that uh, George had asked us to do was there was a, they had recently um, enlarged their property lines by picking up a small little plot so that they had a bigger uh, parking slash play area for the kids. The kids love to play soccer down there, but it was such a small little uh, zone for the kids. But by doing that, that left a light pole right in the middle of their soccer field. And George asked us to move the lamp back uh, to the new fence line. And we didn't have any contractors. We don't know what how to do this. So, <laughs> well, we can cut the pole pole down, but how do we get the lamp off the top without destroying it? Well, I didn't get to observe that, but. Somehow Dave and Jim and Luke uh, took, took that uh, pole down, but we had this little uh, stub of metal pipe out of the ground. Well, that was one of our next projects, is how to get that out of there and how to get the wire, out, electric run, out to the farther location. And then, well, we figured those things out and were able to get that trench dug with a lot of help from the young boys that were with us. So they, they got to put in their skills of digging. And <laughs> um, but then putting the pole, the light on the light on the pole was uh, again a challenge. But as uh, some of the people that have been in the past, the less remembers, some of the things that you go on getting doing there is just really a challenge for you. But you know that, uh, like Wendy said, with patience uh, and God's timing, everything comes together by the last evening, and that's when we got the light up just before that last evening and uh, cut a challenge up on an extension ladder up about 18 feet up, and you're. You're at the top of a pole, and you're on the la- third from the last step of the ladder, and you're okay. What are there to hold on to up here? <laughs> but uh, three of us got to take turns on that pole and do different tasks, and we each had uh, the support of each other, but also God keeping us uh, confident that nobody would get hurt. And even though we had two professionals there, no one did get hurt. That was another blessing. 
But I just remembered a few minutes ago also that uh, one special time for me is that you mentioned Wednesday church service, but on it was a Tuesday evening that they have a Bible study time with the kids. And uh, unlike in the past when I've been there, it's been someone in the one, one of the youth or some guest speaker, they asked one of us to speak, and um, Luke shared his testimony of his life with Christ, and the, the kid, he had the kids just, you know, locked in, and they wanted to hear everything he had to share. And it was, for me too, I've, I've known Luke since he was like five or six years old, and to hear him speak about God reaching into his life and his, de- and his dedication to God and doing what God wants him to do with his life, it was just an amazing evening, and mm. the kids just couldn't get enough of him. Mm. And that was such a blessing to hear all that and to see those kids just wanting to 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 uh, put, put. You could see in their lives they wanted they wanted to be like him. They wanted to have that faith that he has, the mm. the strength he has that he draws from God and Jesus. Thanks, Carl. Hey, let's just thank this uh, these guys for sharing. I'm done. Listen, I want to invite the band uh, to come on up, and we're going to continue uh, and kind of wrap up. Um, the, the final two things we're going to do uh, are, are done universally as well. Another ordinance I could put up here is just in, in tithes and offerings and in bringing uh, those things to, to the Lord. And uh, I've asked Jeff to come in and pray for this. And just one more story before we go. Uh, just a sweet picture on Friday night of everyone saying goodbye to everyone else. And, uh, and here's Carl. You know, Carl spent a lot of time, um, getting dusty and dirty and doing projects and whatnot. But he's really made time. He carved out time to also connect with the kids. And he's been down there so many times, they just know him. And he's been this little constant drip in their life now. Multiple times a year, Carl's down in Mexico. And, uh, and so what that's created is this, this bond. And, um, I got to be privy to this because I was four feet away from Carl's. He's just hugging one of the kids. Um, You're just hugging him and he's saying, be strong and courageous. And it's different when you're there to enter into the world of kids um, who see teams come down and they get to see our kids come and say, Daddy. And uh, and there's Dad. And they say, Mom, I fell and scraped my knee, which happens about a million times a day in Mexico. And there's mom that rushes to their side and they, they watch that week after week. And I know in their little hearts and their little souls and their little minds, they need the healing power of Jesus to just trust and say, God, you're my father. You're here for me. You've got a plan for me. You've brought these people to love on me. And what a picture that that is. As we give this morning, recognize that around the world and in the New Testament church, sacrificial giving is going on. And George and Stacy and Juan and Alicia will be the first to stay, say, don't stop giving your money. But consider more than writing a check sometime, going and engaging in a different way. It'll rock your world. It'll change your life to go and do that. I'm going to have Jeff pray, and then we'll be uh, singing a song.